Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kake mai, and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Alison Balance tēnei. Tonight we are all about two of my favourite things, islands and seabirds. In fact, because it's about seabirds on islands, it doesn't get any better really. Before we start, a bit of seabird context. Aotearoa New Zealand really is the seabird capital of the world. We have the greatest number of resident seabird species of any country. There are about 370 seabird species in total, and 88 of them live and breed right here. New Zealand also has more endemic seabird species than any other country. That's 37 species that breed nowhere else. We also get a lot of seabird visitors from elsewhere. When they're not breeding... A third of all seabird species are regularly found feeding within our exclusive economic zone. And while seabirds spend most of their lives at sea, they do have to come to breed. And when they do, they have a profound effect on the ecology. There used to be large seabird colonies all over the place, but not any longer. However, in the past 20 or so years, there have been increasing efforts to bring the seabirds back. This is the story of one such effort. And to find out more, I'm off to join a team of volunteers from the Friends of Mana Island. Chairperson John McCoy gives me an introduction to the Friends' white-faced storm petrel translocation. We're on a relatively small island, a few kilometres off the Wellington west coast, called Mana Island, or Te Mana Okupe. And whereabouts on the island are we? We're on the southwest corner at the top of the cliffs, It's an area where a number of seabird species have been introduced to the island by way of translocation. So what's already been introduced here? Fluttering shearwaters over recent years, which have been very successful in terms of what comes back. Fairy prions, uh, diving petrels, and uh, the white-faced storm petrel is one of the most recent introductions. I imagine this corner of the island gets pretty windy and cold in a southerly it certainly does. we're sort of looking out into Cook Strait, really, aren't we? We are. At the moment, we're looking south, down through Cook Strait. We can see the sounds very clearly. And if we turn around, we can see uh, nearly to Mount Egmont. But <laughs> the first year we were here, the birds were put in originally the burrows that were put there for fairy prions. And they're on the much more exposed part of the cliff. And... Uh, we had quite a lot of concerns about birds when they were peeping out of the burrows looking to fledge, getting blown <laughs> away by the, by the strong winds that we had at the time. We should probably explain why you're doing this. So Mana Island was once forested, 
then it was turned into a farm and a quarantine station and had very little forest on it, I think. And then it's been massively revegetated. Absolutely. It was just a, a paddock apart from one valley on the northeast side. And in the 40 years since it's been declared a scientific reserve, more than half a million trees have been planted. Half a million? That's a lot of trees. It is. And uh, quite a number of bird species, both both birds and seabirds, have been introduced. So once upon a time before humans came, this would have had lots of seabirds on it, I presume? Yes, and uh, there's still remnants of some of these populations. Uh, Some of the petrels, uh, white-faced storm petrels, actually have, have been found on the island occurring naturally. And what sort of numbers? Very small, two or three or four burrows. Oh, it's and, going to take uh, them a long time to come yeah, back naturally yeah, if you leave yeah, them. Yep. Yeah. So Doc, when Doc took it over, they got a plan together, the objective of which was to restore the islands to as near as possible uh, to a state that would have existed before humans got involved with the ecology of the island, allowing some space for rare and endangered species such as takahe. One of the main reasons for transporting these birds here is not because they're protected or anything like that. It's to try and get the ecological elements of this island back together. And seabirds are very good at distributing nutrients from the ocean to the land. And and that's the main objective. They're like little popping fertiliser machines, really, aren't they? Yes. And then what are the flow-on benefits to the ecosystem from that? Well, there's some physical ones, burrows and things like that, that they might make. Uh, The home for lots of other things in the off-season, insects and particularly giant wetters and things like that. And eventually, if we ever got them to Ataras, the plants, of course, the plant community benefits from that extra nutrients. So tell me a bit about the bird you're introducing this time. This is a multi-year project, so this is what, year three? Yes, generally these, these seabird projects allow for about three years' worth of introductions. White-faced storm petrel, it's not an uncommon bird. It's the, uh, the so-called Jesus bird that we see hopping along the surface of the water when you're out at sea. So they're tiny little um, things with big feet. Yeah, very elegant little birds. In 19, we introduced a trial group of 48 birds. And the plan was from then to spend another couple of years introducing them. So we brought in 100 birds in 2020, and another 100 are due in about an hour. Says John looking at his watch. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the chopper. 100 chicks, three people. The white-faced storm petrel chicks are welcomed to Mana Island and then a team of six feeders begin work feeding the new arrivals before settling each of them in an artificial burrow. Burrow 63. Weight 41. 41. 46. 46. Kathy Mitchell is a vet and seabird translocation expert. On Mana Island, she's in charge of feeding and caring for the chicks, and she also led the field team that collected the birds. We've just come from the Chathams. We've been on an island called 
southeast, Rangatira or Hokariri Iro, which is about a one and a half to two hour crayfish boat ride from main Chatham Island. So you have the main Chatham Island, you have Pitt Island and then this uh, very special island which is one of New Zealand's premium nature reserves. <laughs> yeah, so it's famous for black robins but yes, it it's is. also got an incredible yeah. population of these storm petrels, yes, isn't it? Yes, it does. There's just thousands of them there and if you're walking around the island at night at the time when they're coming in prospecting or feeding their chicks you have to be careful not to stand on them or they're flying up into your headlamp and just like butterflies flying all around you as you're walking along so yeah you do have to keep your wits about you. So you were out there because there's just so many of those birds it was a good place to source some chicks from? It it definitely was, a wealth of riches. (laughs) So what was the process for you out there? We had in mind the number that we needed to find in order to get the number of chicks that we needed based on previous years that we've done it. So this year we were going along locating chicks in burrows. We located 380 chicks and we would weigh them and measure their wing length. So the wing length gives you an idea of the maturity of the chick and how close it is to fledging. And we also wanted the better weight chicks because they've got a lot to manage in themselves with, with the translocation. So we want, wanted the good weight chicks. So we did all that and shortlisted, uh, I think it was about 180 chicks out of those 380. And then we went back and re-measured them all the day before we were due to translocate them in order to um, make sure that they hadn't lost weight maybe the parents hadn't been able to get in and feed them and also to make sure that their wing length was in the right range that we wanted. So why is that range so critical? Part of what our process is is that we're kind of fooling them into thinking that this is where they need to come back when they want to come back to breed and part of the process of them bonding to the site where they fledged from happens during the period when they emerge from their burrows prior to them actually flying away and if the chick is too mature it will already have been emerging on Rangatira Island and so therefore it may return to that island rather than here on Mana Island. So you don't want them too young, you don't want them too old. Exactly, yeah. You've identified a whole lot of suitable candidates, then what did you have to do? Each burrow that we found a chicken, we put a, um, a, a wire with a piece of flagging tape on it. So you could find them again. <laughs> find them again, yeah. So the morning of translocation, we all got up early and went round and collected all the chicks into numbered boxes so that we could track the individuals on their way through. Rapidly packed up the hut and then we all loaded onto the crayfish boat to ride back to Main Chatham Island. You make it sound very simple, but getting to and from Rangatira can be quite a challenge. can be, yeah, yeah. But we were lucky on the day and that the landing uh, on the island, the landing was absolutely perfect with no swell and, yeah, it was actually probably the easiest offloading of the island that I've had and that the boat trip was pretty reasonable as well. So the, they were collected in the morning, fed that night and just left quietly in their boxes overnight. And then yesterday morning they all got loaded on the aeroplane at Air Chathams and flown to Wellington Airport, then helicoptered out here to Mana Island. So. And then put into their little Well, new they got homes. fed first, <laughs> again. <laughs> they got so fed you feed first. them once a day? 
Yeah, we feed them once a day through the whole rearing period. Yeah. What are you feeding them? They're getting uh, sardine smoothies, which is tin sardines with the oil poured off and extra fish oil added. It sort of mimics what mum and dad are feeding them. And some boiled water and a vitamin tablet, and it all gets blended up because it needs to pass through a very small tube when we're feeding the chick. Yeah. Oh, I'll come and eavesdrop on you when you're doing some feeding. <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Helen Gummer is another seabird translocation expert helping out on the project, keeping an eye on the 100-plus artificial burrows that are the chicks' new homes. So how are birds going to find their way back, Helen? Well, we've got a couple of loudspeakers playing white-faced storm petrol calls. They're directed, one's directed out to sea, one's sort of directed over the colony. The idea is that the birds flying around at sea can, can hear that and then that'll lure them back to the spot. And you've got some solar panels to charge them. So normally it'll play all night? Yeah, it comes on at dusk, goes off pre-dawn. So this is a technique that's quite commonly used in seabird translocations, isn't it? Playing loud bird calls to try and trick the birds into thinking that there's a really busy colony that they want to come and join. Yeah, it's usually the first technique that's tried, usually before translocations even. So has so, it worked on its own as a technique? Yeah, it, where it will work is when there's the species that you're trying to call in where they're already sort of flying past. Yeah, it's got quite a good success rate just on its own. And this is also helping to anchor the chicks because every night they're hearing what seems to be a busy colony around them. Yeah, so they're probably already familiar with that sound when they were growing up on Rangatira. Every night, the sound system and the new white-faced storm petrel colony on the southwest cliffs of Mana Island broadcasts the sounds of adult birds. And every day, the Friends of Mana Island's vintage caravan comes alive with the sound of chicks being fed their daily sardine smoothies by Cathy and sidekick Shane Cotter. We're processing the birds, which means they're getting their daily feed. So we work through a process of one of the runners collecting the birds and bringing them to the caravan. They're then weighed. The weight is recorded. The birds are going having their wings length checked to ensure that they're growing as they should be. They're also having a health check done to see that their legs are working correctly because they've got very long, thin legs. They're delicate, aren't they? They are, very delicate. Uh, And then they're fed. So in that part of the process, you hold the chick and Cathy wields the syringe that has a long tube out of it. That's right. So depending on how much they weigh, if they're a very light bird, they might get more food than a heavier bird that's sort of reducing weight, ready to uh, fledge from here. So food's a delicious sardine smoothie that Cathy's keeping at perfect baby food temperature. So she's drawing it up into a 10ml syringe through a very thin tube. She then opens the bird's beak, because it won't open its beak naturally to receive this artificial food. Because it doesn't know it's about to get dinner. (laughs) Absolutely. So that tube is then slid into the crop of the bird, putting approximately seven mils of food into the crop. So they're getting fed once a day. Is that what their parents would be doing back in the wild? 
Yes, that's correct. So once they've been fed, they're then put back into the box that the runner has and is taken back to their burrow. They're put back in the burrow uh, and the next runner brings their bird to the caravan door for the same process to occur. We just keep going and going. <laughs> but yeah, keeps us on our toes. So 48 grams is what it weighs. So this particular bird weighs 48 grams. And you're handing it to Cathy and she's going to do the wing measurement and a little health check. One, two, eight. They normally fledge at around 150 millimetre wing length. How quickly do they grow? About three mils a day. But their wings getting three <laughs> millimetres longer, longer a day. That's a, a day. lot. It's a lot for such a little bird. Yeah, it is. They're currently blockaded in their burrows. We want them to settle in their burrows before we allow them to come out. And then when they're up to fledging wing length, we'll unblock them and they can start emerging at night, which is part of the process of bonding to this site. So, so far today, the smallest wing length we've had is 103. If they grow at 3 millimetres a day, that's still a long way off 150. The most we've had today is 142. They're very pretty birds, aren't they? We think so. <laughs> they are, and even for such a small young bird, they start to have their own personalities. So the ones that we're dealing with at the moment, uh, handling at the moment, are very quiet. Some of them are very talkative, uh, and they chirp away the whole time they're being fed, which makes actually feeding a little bit more difficult. Others sit there very passively, uh, and they're easy birds to handle. We like those ones. And some of them are very active and try and escape th from your hands. So this is okay. the third year you've been doing this? This is the third year, yep. How do you know how much to feed them if you had to work that out? I uh, had to work that out. The other big challenge about this translocation is how far such a small bird is being moved and whether they actually you know, could cope with all the, the stress. It's a big so journey for a little bird. It's a big bird, journey yeah. for them. But they seem to cope with that quite well. Yeah. It's a tiny little bird. It's only the size of a sparrow. It spends all of its life at sea, apart from when it comes to land to breed. What does it eat? Uh, krill. And you think of the strong winds and big seas that they must have to face every day once they're out at sea. They're very resilient birds. Do they sleep out at sea too? Yep. Just park themselves out down on the water and have a bit of shut-eye? Yep, yep. Just when the weather conditions allow. So they literally only come to land to breed. Now We're tell me, I gather storm petrels are a bit of a record holder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in terms of the relative size of the egg to the body weight of the bird, they're at the top of the bird kingdom, somewhere between 20 and 25% of their body weight, but they're also flying around carrying that weight, the so females. So they beat out the kiwi <laughs> they and beat they're out doing the it by flying. <laughs> yeah, flying at the same time, yeah. yeah. 46... So when the birds are making these noises, it's just a natural noise that the birds make. It's not because they're in pain or uh, they're being handled. This is just a natural noise that birds make, particularly when they're being fed. So every day you're thinking, what stage are you at? You know, do I need to feed you less? Are you, do I need to take your barriers down? Yeah, things like that. And or do I need to feed you more? bird like that, if he's starting to get a bit low on weight where he's not feeding very well, I'll often go to the bar at the end of the day and just give it a, a mill or two of fish oil just to help keep his weight up. So another incoming bird. It's quite a conveyor belt here, Shane. 
It is. We've got 100 birds to process each day, and it takes uh, about four to five hours when you're processing all 100 birds. 46. Here's Ms. Chatty. <laughs> this one's got quite the jaunty hairdo. It's lost quite a lot of down, but what's left is sticking up. <laughs> yes, each bird has an individual hairstyle once they start losing their down. They don't lose down in a regular pattern, and sometimes you get a bald patch on top. Sometimes they lose their down at the front of their faces. Other times right around the sides and just down on top like a mohawk. Sometimes more like a mullet. A couple of days of feeding production line later and Helen is making some burrow renovations. We've got three birds that are expected to go any night now. So their external blockades are coming off. We've got this mesh over the burrow entrance. So now they're allowed out into the big wide world. Oh, so they could, if they choose to, wander down that tunnel. Yep, and I'm just going to make it extra appealing for them. So it's so, just black drainage coil, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a bit, it's got a ridge at the bottom, so it's nice to put a bit of soil along the bottom so that when they're coming out of the burrow, it's like walking on the forest floor, basically. <laughs> and are they likely to pop out and disappear forever, or th- do, will they come and go for a while? We don't know with this particular individual. It may come up to the entrance, just have a look outside, and then choose not to go, or it may come out and we might never see it again, so it depends on its exact stage of development and I guess what it feels like. <laughs> do they come out and practice flapping? Well, these guys... They're, they're so small and they're in burrow that's big enough for them to flap inside the burrow. Um, it will flap a little bit and it'll walk around, but this, this species may come out and on the first night they come out, they're gone. So potentially we may never see chick number 22 again. We might never, yeah. Actually, we did see bird 22 the next morning. The night was a calm one and none of the three left. Helen had erected a little fence of sticks at each burrow entrance and only one bird had ventured out far enough down the tunnel to knock the sticks down. Five more birds had the barricades taken off their burrows for the following night, and the first job the next morning was to see if any had left home. These are the more mature chicks that we think are ready to start emerging at night and potentially could have flown away last night, especially because it was quite a breezy night, so that always helps them to fledge. Burrow 22... Um, this fence is down. So that means the bird has at least come out the tunnel? Yeah, at least put its head out, if not its whole self out. So I'll just have a peep in the burrow. Yep, he's at home. So he's just come out for a look. Okay, so 28, his fence is intact. So at this point we'll assume he's home. The next one is 29. He was unblocked last night as well and he did come out last night. And his fence is down today. Yeah, he's still there. Still there. The next five birds were also home, but then. 67, and his fence is down. Oh, can't see one. Okay, so um, it looks like he's not there, and we just want to make sure he's not in the tunnel. So I'll put my arm up the tunnel just slowly, and if he's there, I can guide him up into the burrow. Can't feel anything. Okay, so he is gone. Champagne tonight. Yeah. Okay, so we record his burrow as down and empty. 
So 67 is the first of first. 2021. To fledge, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeehaw! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so it begins. <laughs> yep. The children are leaving home. They are. How long is it going to be before they come back to land, Kathy? Probably two to three years, yeah, when they're... Their first visit will be more of what we call prospecting visit, meeting other friends and, you know, kind of maybe practising being in a relationship. (laughs) They may not lay eggs at that point, but often first eggs fail as well. They're quite long-lived birds. So when you say long-lived, how long-lived? Diving petrels are a little bit bigger than white-faced storm petrels, and they live into the early 20s so far. That's, we've got information on that. Gosh, that's it's a long life well. for a little bird. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. When the size of a sparrow, there's not many sparrows live to be 20 years old. I wouldn't think. Okay. Good luck, 67. It's a big world out there. <laughs> it is a big world out there. <laughs> yep. Increasing numbers of birds begin to leave over the next few nights. One windy evening, a small flock of 18 depart until finally they are all gone. So we're standing on the top of a cliff looking out over Cook Strait. When the birds leave, it's just a second flight and they're poof, out over the water. On the, over the ocean, yeah. Then what's their life going to be like for the next few years? Um, well, they're basically at sea for the next few years and we're talking about a very small bird about the size of a sparrow and it has to learn how to feed itself. It has to find food, which is probably cruel, it will be cruel, and, but it also has to learn how to feed itself and it has to cope with the weather which um, when you're so small keeping your body temperature up and coping with the wind and the waves it must be pretty hard work for them and I think sometimes if a, like if a storm comes through for a few days and they're in the middle of it they won't be resting they'll be trying to keep themselves on the wing so uh, yeah it's a pretty hard ask. <laughs> so they're them. really running on instinct at this time of yes, their life aren't they? Yes they are and they, they're not in flocks, they're operating as independent individuals out there. Yeah, it is amazing when you think if you if you've ever been out at sea on a boat, you sometimes see these little storm petrels and they're they're mm. darting around and they really are very butterfly like and very delicate. Yeah, flitting about and putting their feet on the water and dipping into the water to get the prey that they're after. So yeah, it's it's their nature is to be quite bouncy. <laughs> well, we just have to hope that when these birds feel a need to come back to land to breed, that they come They're back to this come place. Here. Yes, it'll be fabulous. <laughs> so we wait and hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks, team. A huge thanks to the friends of Mana Island who organised the white-faced storm petrel translocation. We heard from Kathy Mitchell, Helen Gummer, Shane Cotter, and John McCoy, and a big thanks to the rest of the team, including Gillian and Linda. I am very pleased to report that all of the chicks successfully fledged. I'm looking forward to going back out to Mana Island in a couple of years' time and hopefully see the first of those birds starting to come back. You can listen to that story again and find heaps of photos of delightful storm petrel chicks at various stages of fluffiness on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. I'll add links to other Our Changing World seabird stories as well, which run the gamut from the very largest albatross through petrels and shearwaters down to the little storm petrels. While you're on that webpage, why not sign up for our free email newsletter and check out the enormous audio archive. We're on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. I'll be back next week. But for now, it's good night from me, Alison Balance, Kia Pai Topo. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.